Hello and welcome to What Is Your Working Class, the podcast dedicated to exploring the variety that exists in working classness. And today I am joined by artist and researcher Kelly Green. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at What Is Your Work One and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much and hope you enjoy the episode. Hey Kelly, how's it going? Hi, Aiden. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, trucking along. What about yourself? Yeah, same old, trying to get some stuff done, but yeah, yeah. all right. Getting stuff done, that's the main struggle of COVID month 13, 14. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long yeah. year, hasn't it, mm. if we're being honest? Oh, just a bit. <laughs> Do you, have you thought about where you were when the first lockdown happened in March? Yes. Well, I, I we had loads of work and it was cancelled within a week. So oh, that's where oh. I was. <laughs> Which I think lots of people in the arts are in a similar boat or anyone that freelanced mm. really. But yeah, that's where I was at yeah. home. Mine was um, uh, cancellations and also trying to finish something before all the buildings closed. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a mad panic. Like it was a ghost town. Miss okay. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the good old days of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> The good old days of freelance work where everything happens at once. <laughs> yes, indeed. And now there's not as much, but it's picking up again now, I think. I think yeah. things are starting to happen and moving and opening, which is good, I suppose. Whereabouts are you at at the moment? I'm in London, in Camden. Nice. In where the flat I live. Yeah, whereabouts are you? I'm in Glasgow. Ah, lovely. Yeah. Very nice. It's, we've got weird weather at the moment. It's sunny, but it sort of will occasionally get snow. <laughs> that's what it was like in London yesterday it was sleeting and then it was boiling sun and no one knew no one, no one knew what to wear where the snow it's the end of the world that's what the weather is letting us know yeah pandemic may be over but climate change is still here to stay yeah <laughs> that's the sequel <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> It's a bit terrifying, isn't it, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's move on from that. <laughs> yes. <let. laughs> uh, so what is your class background? That's always a weird one, isn't it? Well, I class background. Well, I identify as working class, I suppose. But I think that there is an interesting intersection when I speak to other people and they talk about like criminal class and underclass and benefit class, how they intersect with things. So I think that can be quite complicated. If that, I don't know if that makes sense, but found like people not working in my family and definitely criminal activity to sustain incomes when we were kids, stuff like that. So I think it is an interesting one that I've been thinking about a little bit more broadly recently. Um, and I think that working class can be quite complicated because it encompasses so many different experiences. So it's like people that have like got really proud heritage of, you know, like industrial workers or like miners, then you've got people that have come from a background of claiming benefits that don't have the, the, the diff, that proudness of working. Do you know what I mean? And I think that mm. that can sometimes be a bit complicated. So I, I, identi- I say I'm working class, whether I would identify as benefit class growing up, probably a little bit, probably would more intersect with that, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, so. completely. That's really interesting to talk about the variety of working class and the differences and you mentioned underclass and which I don't like because it sounds weird and yeah there is a really complicated sorry sorry oh no you carry (laughs) on there's lots of complicated 
issues around language that is used to describe people from lower lower economic backgrounds essentially and obviously those terms like I know people that have used those terms so like underclass benefit class criminal class to advertise for like opportunities for um, people that would identify as coming from those backgrounds and a lot of people have received quite negative responses for putting those language like like using that language and I think it's really complicated because for a lot I've met a lot of people that want that identify as those things but wouldn't want somebody else to identify them as those things does that mm. make sense Completely. so it's like that that weird contention around I have the right to use that language but you don't have the right to use that language at me I don't know where I sit on that personally which is why I say I'm working class rather than saying the others I just was thought it was an interesting thing to talk about today but um yeah I don't know so it is it can be a weird one, but then I've I've met people that find that working class doesn't fit for them. Like they don't feel comfortable in claiming that and that they feel that they are other in that. And I, and I think that can be quite complicated and quite isolating for people. Do you think that the expansion of class, of looking at the different experiences of class is in relation to the rise of identity politics and things becoming a bit more nuanced in uh cultural discussions i think that this is a long what might be a bit awfully answer but you'll just have to go with me i think that <laughs> <laughs> i think that class became and, and like there's loads of people that have written about this diane ray image and tyler um just to name two have written about the fact that um class kind of got written out of out of academia so rather than it talking about the politics around socioeconomic position it became about gender it became about sexuality and it became about race uh, all valid topics of course but not in not considering the intersection of economic position i think that 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 was something that happened in the 80s and and then that was kind of perpetuated a bit with like tony blair and the new labor mm. like re- rhetoric of we're all middle class now and then coming into power and then in 1998 like bringing in um, fees for university students for the first time ever like so I think that this the surgence of class becoming a real I think yes I think it is intersecting with identity politics but I also think rightly so I think that they should be things that we should definitely be thinking about there's lots of um, conversations in like cultural cultural policy want a better work better term where they're talking about um, class being a a protected characteristic which is something where they you know and I wonder if that is an important thing and we can't underestimate like how people's lived experience of class intersect with their gender sexuality and their race as well it's not like it's not all class but we have to think about how that intersects with each other and how that and what those experiences mean and what people are bringing to the table or bringing to the spaces that we're working in or bringing to their work or their creativity because of those lived experiences not sure I answered your question. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just realised. It's, uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot is um, what is class after Thatcherism and New Labour or what is class in neoliberal society? Because yeah. it's so individualised at the moment. And I'm just curious because there was an article recently by Lisa McKenzie about the idea that uh, the younger generations are now the new working class because of the issues of that are going on. And she's basically saying, well, no, that's not the case at all. It's almost like a new kind of eradication for class in a way. Uh, so it's just uh, thinking about how to make sure that class 
is a part of the conversation of diversity and to emphasize the intersectionality of class with everything with gender race age sexuality differently abled individuals yeah I think I think if we if you know if we think about accessibility and the arts and higher education in itself it's not designed for certain bodies it's not designed for certain people it's not designed for those from certain backgrounds and you can see that like I work in universities all the time and you can see the people that are the students that are coming but more not the students the people that work there yeah so it's like who are the people in power think about that about arts organizations or theatres um, or institutions the level of a diversity needs to kind of stop at the start at the top and then filter down doesn't it and I think that there's a lot of binary or I feel like a lot of people are angry at the middle classes it's like actually the middle classes don't necessarily have the power like the people who have mm. power are the upper classes and they're, they're they are essentially the owners of the means of production or the modes of production which is still in like that is still the cycle that we're in now the part the, the the binary position happens with people who are middle class against working class is about taste and about maintaining a certain aesthetic or way of living does that make sense so like this is the right way to be this is the wrong way to be and that's complicated I think that was a bit of a waffly I feel like I'm waffling a bit now (laughs) no continue waffling seriously (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a firm believer in the best way to talk about (laughs) class is to waffle a bit to go because it is such a big thing and it's huge yeah when did you realize that you were working class? Well, I like when we were kids, we always kind of knew I was working class. I grew up in London. Our family was quite big uh, Irish immigrants. and But everyone where we grew up was working class. Like all the kids at school were the same. There was a couple that weren't. And you kind of could tell that there was a slight difference in that. But growing up, I think we were aware that we weren't. Like we were aware that we were working class, that we didn't have a lot of money, but we were better off than others. There was always other other people in the area that were like like less off than us, that were that didn't have the same things. And my mum went back to education, so my mum left school at like fourteen. She's just like quite dyslexic and had quite um a traumatic childhood, and she went back to doing an access course, so went back to college when she was in her early thirties. Um, and did sociology and psychology and then would come back and like tell me all these like impassioned things that she'd learned about class and about feminism and all that kind of stuff and I remember really starting to engage with those ideas when I was quite young at secondary school but then I left secondary school at 16 and then went and got like jobs different kinds of jobs <laughs> working as receptionists and bar work and hairdressers and like different shit jobs um but then I realized that I could throw my voice quite well so I got into like and I could talk really well if I was like doing telephone work (laughs) so suddenly I got these other jobs that were like quite well paid and they were like working for receptionists and estate agents and and I was and I was in very middle class workspaces and I found that really complicated I remember feeling really out like a fish out of water and then I worked for a massive estate agent it's all over London I think it's all over the UK now that was really interesting because basically a lot of the people that work there come straight out of university they go into this this big estate agent and they get business experience to then go and work for their parents so it's like this really interesting <laughs> narrative with all these people with loads of money and I did not fit in there at all and then I fell pregnant uh, and was a single mum then at 23 and then went back to education I did an access course when she was eight months old 
and then went to university when she was by that point she must have been about 18 months and I went to drama school and then I felt it even more so so I think there's like so that was a kind of a long explanation about when did I realize I was working class it's like there was definitely points in my childhood then and I think you I think because class is always changing for like your lived experience of class is always changing because or for me it is because I then experience different things or I meet different people that make me question my class but also I experience it so like obviously now I still identify as working class but other people have said to me you can't be working class you're doing a PhD you work in the arts so it's a difference between cultural capital and economic capital and how that and how you're experiencing them at the time. How'd you get into theatre and drama in the first place? Um, well, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actress, as you do. And I used to do Christmas plays and I'd be every character and my cousins would be a tree. And then as I got older, when I went to university, I went to go and become a drama teacher. That was what I was aiming to do. And through doing my degree, I realised I didn't really want to work in schools. I do facilitate in schools and work with young people and I enjoy that, but I definitely didn't want to become a teacher. And then I went and did an MA. And that's when I kind of really started to think about class politics actually was during my MA. And then, and then I, when I did my PhD, my PhD was originally something completely different to what it is now. My PhD was originally called Chav Ballet, where I was going to try and learn ballet as a high art form, as a working class body in her thirties. Um, that fell on its face quite rapidly. Um, <laughs> Literally or? <laughs> well, I definitely, definitely couldn't do it. Um, and I, the aim, or like, and it was really naive of me because obviously people train to be ballerinas for years from the time they're like really small children. And I was quite dedicated to that. And that was going to be an installation. It wasn't going to be theatre. It was going to be like quite live art and performance based um, and like image based and things based. Like I'd made things out of old ballet shoes and things like that. And then I realised actually that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. And then started to realise there was a lot of weight in making um, autobiographical theatre about things I basically a lot of my work or the theatre the two theatre pieces that I've made which is Slag and Chav are things that I've been called and they're kind of a, quite an angry response to being called those things and that's how I kind of got into theatre was that I decided that I was going to change the trajectory of my PhD and write a piece of theatre which was Chav originally and I got in with CPT Camden's People Theatre and they did a program called Starting Blocks where they um, work with emerging artists or they like select, uh, it's like a program where they select a couple of people. Uh, and that year they chose me and I worked with them to create Chav. So that was, and that was in 2018. I'd done other pieces of performance work prior to that, but I think that that was kind of the main piece. And that's one of the main pieces of the body of practice for my PhD now as well. Mm. I was going to ask how, um, if you could talk a little bit more about Chav as a show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm writing about it at the moment. I'm like, yeah, thank you. Fine. Do some more. So Chav was a response to how I was being to make, how I was feeling about higher education and the arts. So when I, when you do an up, when you do a PhD, you do an upgrade. And during the upgrade, they like question your work and they, and the upgrade is for you to transition from an MPhil to a PhD. And when I'd had my um, upgrade meeting, I was, lots had changed and my, one of my supervisors had left and it was all a little bit up in the air and I wasn't feeling that confident with the research. But interestingly, I, I had a panel of three people. One was a film critic, one was a opera composer um, and one was a ballerina. And they, they were, 
from very different practices to what mine was, which was kind of live art performance art. And so when like, I'd like done this spiel, explained to them what I was doing and talked about being a chat, like this term chav and like me identifying that and that, that it was autobiographical and all this kind of narrative. They turned to me and went, well, why are you writing about this? You're obviously not a chav. You don't read as that. You don't read as working class. And I was like, well, what does working class read like that? Read like then? Mm. What does that look like? You're making assumptions because I'm standing in front of you now after, you know, being in education, learning how to talk to you because I've had to learn that. The chav was a bit of a response to that because it was, it's a bit angry. It's a bit of a bit of a fuck you and a bit of a proving that this is why I'm talking about it and why I have the right to talk about it. So it's kind of an autobiographical narrative with intersections of, of um, storytelling in different ways. I say that I'm going to take a break and then I take out a big bag of white powder and put it down like it's a line of coke, but then I do yoga in it and play around with it. So, and it's playing around with different aesthetics. Basically, it's, an, it's a lot of academic research that I'm then shifting and putting into a performance practice, which sounds really wanky when I say it. <laughs> when I say it. But that's the thing though. I've been thinking about that as well, of how on earth do I take all this theory about class and put it into work in such a way that it doesn't feel like I'm almost just over relying on working class signifiers. I'm actually yeah. giving more depth to these things rather than just like having an ensemble piece with everybody wearing flat caps or something stupid you know no, don't do that exactly <laughs> it'd be terrible but it is that thought of how to make it working class when a lot of people will look at us having both now doing PhDs and go well are you you're not working class you're doing a PhD and having yeah. to give the clarity that I am working class and working against the idea of what is seen to be working I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> no, I, I, I get what you're saying and this is this is one of the biggest issues that I have or well, this is what I'm talking about in my PhD my PhD is now called feeling classy it's gone from Chav Ballet to something very different and what I'm talking about is is that the lived experience of class stays in the body it's an embodied feeling that we then carry with ourselves so whether we are now and I and I, this is complicated and it can be pulled apart and I'm very aware that it can be but this is my experience is that now, because I've kind of got a bit of knowledge, I still, I don't know if you suffer with imposter syndrome, but imposter syndrome mm. is rife in working class people. And that, and there's like been studies about it and there's lots of research about it because we're, we're still trying to process being in a space that is not meant for us. So constantly battling against that means that you are constantly feeling that you are not good enough or that you do not belong. So that feeling is real. That's a real feeling that people are made to feel by the neoliberalism world that we live in. And the pressures of institutions like higher education and the arts and to fit in and to be some be a particular model. Just because you have some cultural capital now doesn't mean that you are that you have transcended your class. Social mobility and like those kind of do those things go away from how you feel? Like go on. Oh, it was um I think it's it is that point of trying to say, no, the past still exists. I am not I am not here emerging as a present without a past existing to me my past yeah. is inherent to how I am now but if you just take me as I am right now you're probably not going to think I'm working class but then that's what I mean so when my the, the upgrade panel said to me you don't read as working class well like that and that's another complicated thing isn't it because I know I've met people and they've gone I'm working class aren't you fucking working class hmm. like you know that we do it because it's about perception and how pe how we read people and how we relate to people 
it with our experiences and their experiences like voice is a big game changer like there's so many people that I've met with that will speak a particular way and I'll be like you're not working class do you know mm. what I mean because of the way that they talk so we are constantly reading people in relation to ourselves and that's why class is so complicated because and as as we spoke about earlier it encompasses such a wide range of lived experience of class economic and cultural but for me I, I think it's identifying your class feelings so I've identified some for my PhD which is a process syndrome and shame and also taste is is effective it's a feeling people uh, have discussed responses to things that they find are tasteless or vulgar and working class bodies are often associated with those things in an academic framework um, and and within the media so they evoke emotion and how and I think that's what's important to bear in mind is yes we may be in those spaces but do we feel that we really belong I don't necessarily know that I feel like I belong in in those spaces and how do we retell those stories without reliving there's like a, a I don't know how or if you've come across this but like poverty trauma and like um class trauma these kind of mm. and I don't know whether anyway that was I don't know that's like a, I've yeah. lost my way <laughs> sorry I don't know no not at all um <laughs> In making Chav, yeah, were you worried about coming across as a stereotype at all? No. So Chav, Chav was like, as I said, Chav was a fuck you, and it was it. So basically, I didn't I didn't get called an actual Chav, and this is in the show, until I become a single mum. So somebody that I used to work with because it used to, used to be so lovely, but like now you're just a Chav. Whatever happened to you? And I was like what the fuck and so that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about was that the academically if you look at kind of the term chav it is it is feminized it is looked at as being like white working class female bodies is is associated with the chav it's around makeup it's about body politics it's about being a reproductive body and having children and being and single mums are have been grouped as such especially within the media that's and that's an academic an academicization of it because obviously in popular culture and, and young people use it all the time for different things and for different people so it was kind of playing around with that and kind of pushing and pulling at that so feeling like a stereotype it's complicated because do I think that in my lived experience have I felt like a chav probably I have like in the past when I was younger growing up the associations and the connotations with that term for a while I was talking talking about reclaiming the identity is re- and I think that that's another complicated thing is like reclaiming language or re- reclaiming a word and it being a stereotype like what does that mean I suppose I don't I don't think I've actually thought about whether I thought about playing into a stereotype but it's making me think now which is quite interesting so thanks for that no, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an interesting one but I think taking ownership of something that you've been called is can sometimes be important. And like both of the shows do that because it makes you, it makes you think about what that word means to society and what it means to you and how you can take some power back in it rather than it being, then you feeling negative in it all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Fine. It's, it's try, I, I suppose it's going to that question of trying to deal with class when it is such a big complicated thing and dealing with, how people may perceive class yeah and Um, that's what it was about it's about kind of playing with that and also saying like in the show it talks about the trajectories like there's lots of little it it has little autobiographical moments where I'm just talking to the audience when I'm doing something else before I perform something new and it talks about and I say in it like 
this whole journey does this am I am I middle class now once I've got a PhD is that does that make me middle class now like what is the defining point if we're talking about social mobility when is it that I can say that I'm not working class anymore so mm. is that something that society or, or everyone else tells me or is that something that I tell myself do you know what I mean and I think yeah. that that discussion about class and how and how we talk about it is who who has the right to own it and who has the right to claim it do you know what I mean yeah and then for the second show that you talked about, uh, Slag, how did that come about? <laughs> so Slag, so I, working class sexuality is a complicated thing or like, and I suppose sexuality for women and, and, and men equally is quite a complicated thing. But being sexually promiscuous or like being sexually active, I was kind of known in the area when I was growing up as a bit of a slag. Whether that was justified or not, I'm still not quite sure. But it was something that I knew that people had called me or were calling me and I had an experience where I went out with some friends and they were kind of mocking mocking me without me with them thinking that I did wasn't feeling that if that makes sense so a slag was quite a response to something that had been making me feel quite uncomfortable in my body and about being a woman so that show kind of stemmed from there so slag like is a word again that is quite a working class slang word and it originally meant scrap metal and then it was used to use men that didn't work used to as a term to like call men that didn't work and then eventually it became something for women in like the 1800s but the show itself is a response to those kind of things but when I was making it I made it without any funding and I made it without any aftercare and I can't stress enough if anyone is ever going to make any work that is about a traumatic subject that don't do it on your own, don't do it without any money and don't do it without care or support network around you. So if I was to, because basically it ended up becoming about my sexual experiences, some of which were not very nice. And so then I was like talking about them and felt that I had to put them in the show and I'm not quite sure why, because <laughs> I definitely wasn't ready to do that for that piece of work. And I think that there is an argument and Scotty, I don't know if you've heard of the artist Scotty mm. has said this before about working class artists having to bleed for their supper or like have to pick the scabs. And I think with that show, I definitely did that. Like I picked some scabs that I weren't ready to, to pick or I shouldn't have picked. And so that was a more like a bit of a, a bit of a show that probably I wasn't quite ready to make. I am glad I made it, but it was a little bit more complicated. And I think, yeah, I just think that it was a little bit it was trying to do too much without an, without any support. Both of my shows always start with me as an educator. So in Chav, I start as a lecturer and then it deteriorates into a hen party. In Slag, it starts, it is a classroom and, and I'm teaching and then I facilitate in it as well. Um, Cause I worked for an organization called Tender Education Arts who work with um, young people to prevent violence and abuse against women and girls. And I, so I use some of, what I teach with them in the workshop as well and I use so I had, as an ex-boyfriend and he used to say to Pete used to say to me she's had a mile length of cock that one and I'd be like what <laughs> so I was trying to figure out one of the I know it's really awful God, God. Like, the people I used to anyway whatever so in the show I try to measure out how much cock I've actually had in terms of it being a mile length with stellar cans so they oh, yeah. I build a wall with them because obviously like there's a connotations quotely with Stella as being like wife eater beer which is gross 
so I tried to do that on stage and and have a discussion about that and like and that's quite I quite liked that I think visually that was really not like a really nice thing to do but yeah I think that show I'm hoping to revisit and redo and remake with probably with other women's experiences of being called a slag or maybe being made to feel a slag and to unpack that a little bit more. It's interesting you talked about how both shows start off with you educating the audience yeah. in a way. Why do you think you start them off from that position? I think it's always good if you're uh, for to do what you know. Like there's a part of me that I know that that's one of the things that I do and one of the things that I am good at is facilitation and kind of teaching. I think that's what I always thought it was. I think reflecting on it now and writing about it for the PhD, I think there is an element that I want my shows to educate. And so there is an element that maybe I'm doing, trying to do those two things together. Yeah, so I think there is a bit that I'm trying to educate the, educate the, um, the audience as well as using a skill that I'm good at, I suppose, in the practice or the methodology of it. So for the two shows, Chavs and Slag, you have this teacher persona at the very start of it. But there's an interesting thing where you speak in an RP or posh accent mm. when doing this persona. I'm just curious why that is. I think um, I like to play around with code switching. So code switching is where you can like throw your voice. I think I talked about that. I, I talked about that a little bit earlier on um, in terms of learning that I can suddenly talk really well and getting good jobs. And I think that. There is an assumption when I first started going into higher education in the arts, I would put on a voice and pretend I was someone else. And that was a way of navigating spaces. And I wanted to play a little bit with that in the show. And also in the show, because in Chav, I start off as this quite middle class character or this persona and then deteriorate and show you what my life is really like. And I think that was part of part of the argument. It was a bit of a part of the fuck you with Chav, playing around with that. I also think that there is like this weird thing that maybe I do in both of them that I've only just thought about is that I see educators or education as middle class, as a middle class mm. space. So maybe that's why when I become those characters or put those personas on in those shows that I put on a middle class voice. But it is about code switching. It's about, mm. about, about being able to show who you are and perform yourself in different situations. Because a main theme of Chav is code switching. That point about um, maybe an unconscious sense of education being middle class really interesting in that there's a bit of a push at the moment for a lot of working class academics. Mm. Like in this case of like, no, we are still working class just because we've got a PhD and just because we've gone through higher education. It doesn't remove us of our working classness. Yeah, and I think that's really important to bear in mind is that to get places or like to get but in terms of like higher education in the arts you kind of have to talk the talk and walk the walk to get to the where you want to go so you learn to take on those mannerisms and how to talk and and what language to use which then means that you're like simulating middle class behaviors does that make sense so then you're mm. kind of trying to performing being middle class um, to kind of prove that you belong in, and to fit in in some kind of way. And I think that that was um, a big part of what I was trying to say in Chav, especially in terms of being told that I don't read as working class it's because I'd learned to assimilate. I'd learned to drag my voice and to drag my and perform like my, my dragged middle class self. And I think that's quite important part of the show. Uh, but I, and I do think that that's what artists and working class academics do potentially. I think they drag their class. They drag being middle class. If that makes sense. It's like a performed sense. Yeah, totally. 
another element of both of the shows is audience participation. And I was wondering, <laughs> why, why do you have audience participation in your shows? Because I think that art and performance is a dialogue. I don't think that it's... When I go to the theatre, I hate it when people perform into the abyss and they don't like acknowledge the audience because actually it's quite an intimate thing. And being a, like a solo performer up on stage, have, being able to chat to people and interact breaks down this kind of isolating feeling. I think also, and I think I've spoke about this, uh, I spoke about it a minute ago, is about um, this idea of me wanting to educate. I don't believe that if people are just sitting listening to a story, that they engage with it as much unless they're playing around or like and getting involved. Also, I think it's more fun. I think giving somebody a cock straw and a glass of Lambrini is far more fun <laughs> than me telling them about a, co- a cock straw and a glass of Lambrini. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I wanted to create, I want to create that kind of like party interaction, playfulness in my work rather than it being quite solemn and very silent. I want it to be quite rowdy. And I think on the last showing of Chav, the last day of the run, it was absolutely, it was really, really packed and it was really rowdy. And some people that came to the experience (laughs) were used to going to really traditional theatre. Find me the next day and they're like, I've never been to something like that before. That was insane. Because it was like people like really jumping up and getting involved and like coming onto the stage and like having a dance. And it was just, I want that bit of mayhem in performance. I want it to be accessible and fun. And I think with a lot of theatre and performance, and this is a generalisation, is that it's made in a, in a particular way for a particular group of people. And if we think about that in terms of it's over-academicised and it's got the fourth wall, like very much got a fourth wall. And if it hasn't, it's very like, very academic modes of conventions. Mm. And I wanted mine to be a fucking party and I want working class people to come to those performances. It was designed for working class people and I think participation and making them feel that they're part of that space because being in a theatre for people that haven't been to theatre before and a few, a, quite a lot of people that came to see Chav hadn't seen theatre before, uh, especially on the last night and feeling that they had ownership of the space and could be involved in the space was really important to me. So I think that participation yeah, like breaks with those conventions of traditional theatre and it makes it more inclusive. That's how I see it. That might be, that might be wrong. Mm. (laughs) Also also with the education side of things, it's more constructive than instructive. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially for slag, when I do a bit of the workshop, the tender workshop, it's playful and it's silly, but then it's talking about something that's quite dark and like giving statistics about abuse and uh, violence towards women and girls. So, and I think that by navigating that with the audience it kind of says oh this is really dark but we're looking at it in a in a fun way and you're a part of the conversation and I think I do that as well in in Chav when there's the jokes there's like jokes that come up and then I request the someone in the audience to tell the joke and they're quite dark jokes about the stereotype of of Chav women so I think that they I think that that's quite an important thing to break down that that they're part of the conversation this is something that we are talking about it's not just me standing there talking about it by myself Mm. Have you ever had anybody just refuse to do audience participation in any of the shows? No. Sometimes it can go when I in Chav, there's a slide that comes up behind me and I'm like, and now I'm gonna tell you a few jokes. And then it comes up going audience participation. You can hear this like, yeah. like <laughs> of from the audience, like, fuck, we've got to do something. Um, but sometimes there is a ruffle of a giggle as well, because they're like, it's, telling them what they're going to have to do is quite a funny tool too but 
it can sometimes take a little while for people to volunteer, especially with the jokes, because I think they know that they're not going to be very pleasant and then they have to say them. Mm. But they do get there. And, you, and I think by talking to them, by, and I think that's why I use the role actually of educator facilitator, is I know that I can get students and, and I can interact with people in those spaces. And it's like something that I know that I'm kind of good at. Because I know that I can kind of do the same thing with an audience. I can get them to respond to me in that way because I can make them feel safe, even if they feel terrified. Well, I like to think that, and that might be quite, <laughs> I might be completely wrong. But um, I think the other thing is, if you're a performer and you're getting up on stage and you're making a bit of a knob of yourself and you're not taking yourself too seriously, people warm to that and they feel that they can join in with that. Does that make sense? Mm. I think that that's a good thing. Also, when people came to see my show that were, that as I said before, hadn't really been to that much theatre, they, likened my performance in Chabot to a stand-up comic. They were like, oh, it was like stand-up comedy. That was why it was so good. And I, I wonder if comedy, I think there is a big connection between class and comedy and accessibility and how often comedy is seen as a lowbrow, a lowbrow art form or performance practice, but how we can change that a little bit, would, I think would be interesting in terms of accessibility to performance and theatre for mm. working class audiences. Yeah. Going from the education thing, you made a document for, it's, it's called Feeling Classy, isn't it? Let's Get Classy. Let's Get Classy, sorry. Um, That's right. How, and it, you've got some great interviews in that, one of them being with Scotty and yeah. a number of other working class artists. How did that feel making a piece of educational documentation specifically about class? <sighs> it felt fucking intense, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it felt really intense it was the first thing I ever wrote for publication it's not quite the document that I wanted to make which is always the way because you run out of time or there's pressures it was brilliant talking to those artists there's some brilliant artists you know working class artists that are making brilliant work that are very generous and really beautiful so I really enjoyed speaking with Scotty and Selena Thompson and Simon from Ducky who's like an absolute legend fucking love him so they like really great really great contributors I do get a bit anxious when people talk about it because I've I do feel like it's not like it didn't feel enough it could have been bigger it could have been better it could have been more like I don't know there's always that kind of element to it um my dyslexia in it is quite bad like I know that there's some spelling mistakes and stuff I went back through it after it's <laughs> a bit embarrassed but other than that I think it's I've had some really positive feedback about it recently from other educators that work at universities that have been using it and that has been amazing and it's made me feel a lot better about it but it was it was massive and I'm starting to feel more comfortable and accepting in it for a while I was really it just I just didn't think I had the right to write it and to talk about class in the way that I had done and that can sometimes that's the imposter syndrome thing and also I really didn't want it to be an academic text like I wanted it to be like chatty and conversational and so that people that aren't like going through the trajectory of education can pick it up and read it and understand what I'm talking about I think that was the game plan so I hope I hope that's what it has done mm. but, yeah, it's, yeah it's a really good a really good bit of information I really like it I think it's one of the yeah. nicest things I've read about class <laughs> like in the, in the way that it's it's really direct and it's not acad it's not overtly academic. I mean you no. talk about uh Bordeaux, Bordeaux. <laughs> but, 
(laughs) whichever pronunciation (laughs) is correct and marks and everything and you get a good idea of but yeah I think it's a really nice thing I I really like it I think it's great I really appreciate that thanks Aiden um I'm glad I'm glad that it's useful for people I probably if I if I had the opportunity now I would rewrite it a little bit I think there's some things I would change things that I would add and things I would take out but that's always the way of anything that you write you'll put out into the world you're never going to be 100% happy with it are you what are you working on at the moment Uh, I'm working on my PhD at the moment which we've obviously touched base on a little bit which is called feeling classy so that consists of chav consists of slag there's an online gallery called skin which is about a tattoo that I had done which is about the intergenerational stories of working class women so I got a piece of lavender for my nan I got a thistle for my mum the word chav for me in the star sign constellation of my daughter and then on the website it's going to be interactive so you click on different things and then you hear like uh, a conversation between me and my daughter a conversation between me and my mum and then some reflective writing about my nan and the documentate like the filming of me getting the tattoo done uh, and I've also written a, a toolkit of working with young people exploring class, which is um, classy tips and tricks of working, uh, which facilitating tips, really. So they're the three practical elements. So now I've got to write the lovely theoretical side of that. which Lovely. <laughs> I'm not enjoying. Um, but I just did a, a launch event called Women Working Class, which is another artist called Fox Irving. And the, so we just did just finished that last week. So I had to do some commissions for that. And then the launch event. So I'm kind of glad now to have some time to focus on the PhD and try and get the things written up. What does your daughter think of your work? well she hasn't seen any of the shows yet okay (laughs) (laughs) which you know I think it's complicated because when you're writing autobiographical or you make autobiographical work obviously I talk about things I did in my past that I might not be quite ready for her to hear just yet she likes the fact that I'm an artist she thinks it's really cool and tells all her friends um and she likes some of the image-based work that I do she finds that really interesting but she hasn't seen the shows so I don't know how that will go, actually. I'm a bit worried about that when she's a bit older, if she ever sees the shows. Some of the content might be a bit much or near the mark for her, maybe. Yeah. Talking about sex and drugs and rock and roll, I suppose. It's probably not quite, she's yeah. not quite ready for that yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. at <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been great. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aiden. It has been fun. So I've enjoyed it. Right. Uh, speak to you soon. Hope you're doing All right. All right, thank you. Bye. And that is the episode. I'd like to thank Kelly for talking to me about her work and working classness and for you for listening to this episode of What is Your Working Class? To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at WhatIsYourWork1 and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully hear from me soon.